From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA Congressional Correspondent Katherine Gibson and Marketplace Correspondent Nancy Marshall-Genzer. Welcome Katherine and Nancy. Well, here are the issues. The historic battle over electing Representative Kevin McCarthy as the next U.S. Speaker of the House of Representatives has sparked alarm among Senate Republicans who fear the battle portends serious problems ahead in the new 118th Congress. This is the first time a speaker hasn't been elected on the first ballot since 1923, and that was 100 years ago. President Biden and Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell made a rare joint appearance at a bridge in Kentucky in a display of bipartisanship that offers a guide to how the White House hopes to govern in months to come. January 6, 2023 marks the second anniversary of the attack on the U.S. Capitol building. Last year, a House Select Committee panel investigated the attack and held multiple high-profile hearings, laying out evidence that the attack was months in the making and that former President Donald Trump played a key role in it. Russia's defense ministry blames the illegal use of mobile phones by its soldiers for a deadly Ukrainian missile strike that it said killed 89 servicemen, raising the reported death toll significantly. NFL Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin remains in critical condition after suffering cardiac arrest on the field during a Monday night nationally televised game. Millions of viewers watched Hamlin suddenly collapse after tackling another player. Well, those are the issues. Let's get started. What is usually a formality has turned into an extended drama as the House convened for its 118th session with its first task to elect a speaker. Catherine, this is the first time in 100 years that a speaker was not elected on the first ballot since 1923, and that was 100 years ago. That was in 1923 when Frederick Huntington Gillette became speaker after nine rounds. But the longest vote occurred in 1856 when the speakership wasn't decided until after 133 ballots. And now in 2023, history is being made again. What are your thoughts? Well, I think I can certainly speak for all Capitol Hill reporters when I say we really hope this doesn't go for 133 days because there's certainly a lot of fatigue up on Capitol Hill right now. We've never seen a situation like this in our lifetimes. This idea that we could be going to multiple ballots, we've never seen anything like it because usually it's a set deal. The caucuses, the conferences, each party chooses their leader and then it's pretty much done by the time it gets to the House floor. Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi always said, you don't bring a vote to the House floor unless you know you have the votes to do it. And certainly whenever she was elected Speaker, that was the case. There's just so much uncertainty over what's going to happen next. Will McCarthy stay in? Will he make more of a deal with the House Freedom Caucus? Will a compromise candidate emerge? There are all sorts of scenarios that could play out over the next few days. What we do know is that McCarthy has wanted this job for years. He has lobbied for it. He's one of the party's top fundraisers. And that was part of his argument to the House Freedom Caucus. He said, look, I have earned this job. And that definitely angered a lot of people. I was outside that meeting earlier this week. And that only enraged people further, this idea that you're entitled to the speakership. 
there's been a lot of discussion on Capitol Hill about even though this debate makes Republicans possibly look bad, they're arguing it also makes them look good, that debate is healthy for democracy, that we shouldn't just be rubber stamping people in power and leadership positions, and that this is actually good and healthy. So we'll see how all of this ends and plays out. But Republicans certainly arguing that this is something that needed to be done. And Kim, as you mentioned, there is quite a history to this, going back to that 1856 contest with a former representative, Nathaniel Banks of Massachusetts. He was against slavery, and the big fight over him was led by some members of Congress who wanted to expand slavery in the U.S. Now, it does seem like some of the issues involved now deal with economics. There's a group of conservatives who are opposed to McCarthy. They are demanding that any new speaker or commit to not raising the nation's debt ceiling without what they call a concrete plan to cap spending. And they also want a budget that balances in 10 years. And you may remember, Catherine, you probably do, when we had a real standoff on raising or suspending the nation's debt limit back in 2011, and the U.S. got very close to defaulting on its debt, S&P, Standard & Poor's, actually lowered the United United States credit rating, which meant that it was more expensive for us to borrow. This is very dangerous territory to be treading, not only because the Republicans were blamed for that near default in 2011, but also just because of what it does to the nation's credit rating, even if we don't default. And the thought of the U.S. defaulting on its debt is just unthinkable for a lot of people. So raising or suspending the debt limit is also at the center of this standoff. What we do have now is a new Congress that literally cannot be sworn in until a speaker is chosen. Remember, the speaker administers that oath of office to all of the new members of Congress. That, of course, also means that they can't pass any laws. They can't make up their committee assignments. They can't get to work legislating and working on all of these issues for the American people until a speaker is chosen. So we're really at quite a stalemate right now on Capitol Hill. And we won't have to wait too long for that debt limit to come up. What happens is Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she can use emergency measures to keep paying the government's debts. But after a while, they run out. And the latest estimate is the government will run out of money this summer. So this is looming in the not too distant future. So then how are Democrats responding to this division in the Republican Party? Well, in day one on Capitol Hill, you saw a lot of levity. You saw House Democrats joking that they were going to bring popcorn as a snack, saying that this is almost like watching a dramatic movie or TV show where you don't know what the twists and turns are. And they're saying now, as we're stretching into further and further days of these multiple rounds of voting, that they're not going to be there to help Republicans sort out their inner party fight, that they remain united behind their nominee for speaker, Hakeem Jeffries, who would be the first African-American leader among the Democratic Party as Speaker of the House. They have voted completely together behind him. Even though they're voting together and they're united, it's just simply not going to happen that there's a scenario where there could be a Democratic Speaker of the House. 
President Joe Biden and Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell made a rare joint appearance in a show of bipartisanship in promoting President Biden's infrastructure bill. So why was McConnell invited along for the president's first public appearance since 2023? You can sum this up with one word, money. (laughs) So there's about a billion dollars in the infrastructure bill that's going to fix a bridge, a famous bridge linking Kentucky and Ohio. It's one of the busiest freight routes in the country. It's the Brent Spence Bridge. And that's where Biden and McConnell met. Of course, McConnell's home state is Kentucky. This is a really big deal. And actually, I'm seeing the White House announce more than $2 billion from the infrastructure law will go toward upgrading the Brent Spence Bridge and building a a second bridge beside it. This is a big deal for McConnell's home state of Kentucky. And I think it really speaks to the difference in approaches between the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. I've had a lot of people talk to me about how, oh, this is McConnell moving towards the Democrats. Look, he got that government funding deal passed in December, and now he's going to an event with President Biden. You know, really, when you step back and look at it, McConnell plays a little bit more of a lawn game here on Capitol Hill. His priority is getting those judicial nominees through, marshalling his caucus, whereas over in the House, and this has always been the style in the U.S. House of Representatives, is to be a little bit rowdier, a little bit readier for inter-party fights and fights with the other party. It's the way our system works, is that the U.S. House of Representatives is a little bit more combative, whereas the U.S. Senate is meant to be cooler, more collected, more contemplative about passing laws. So it's it's kind of interesting to see these kind of split screen of McConnell standing with Biden while the House has this historic, unprecedented fight over their leadership. It really speaks to the way the system was set up. So in a way, it may be working. And yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, McConnell has to represent the entire state of Kentucky, not just one district. And again, you know, talking about the money, it's going to bring jobs to his district, into his state. Biden says thousands of jobs will be created. And they supposedly all of the iron steel and all the construction materials from the bridge will be made in the U.S., which provides even more jobs, you know, laborers, electricians, carpenters. And President Biden made a point of saying, look, these jobs are well paid and they don't require a college degree. And also, when you look at the two men, they served for decades together in the Senate. When you look at their relationship now, how is this going to really help for the rough roads ahead for both parties in 2023? I think it's helpful to have that element of mutual interest. As you know, Nancy mentioned, money does have a way of bringing people together. But ultimately, Mitch McConnell is a smart enough politician to be able to go up against Biden when he needs to. Remember, McConnell was the one who condemned President Trump in the days after the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, but ultimately looked at the political headwinds and didn't vote for Trump's impeachment just a few weeks later. McConnell is a very smart politician. He is the longest serving Senate leader. That is something that you always have to keep in mind with Mitch McConnell. And also, Nancy, inflation is still very, very high here in the United States. And when you're looking at the U.S. economy for 2023, Federal Reserve officials are committed, they say, to fighting inflation and they expect higher interest rates to remain in place until more progress is made. So in looking at this aspect of the U.S. economy, what can Americans expect regarding food, oil and gas prices? 
You know, it's interesting. There are so many forces that are outside of the Fed's control here. So you mentioned gas prices. I mean, part of the problem there is the war in Ukraine and the supply of oil and natural gas from Russia affecting prices. And the Fed has admitted it can only do so much. You know, we've also had supply chain problems pushing up prices. Those seem to be getting resolved. And the Fed was very unified last year in raising interest rates. All of the decisions to raise rates were unanimous. But, you know, it's interesting, the Fed just released the minutes from its last meeting in December. And there was, you know, a few signs of some division because the Fed said, quote, many members of the Federal Open Market Committee that was meeting on interest rates, many of those members said they have to look at two sides of the equation. So one of those sides is you want to raise interest rates high enough to nip inflation in the bud to push back inflation. But the other side is you don't want to raise interest rates so high that you cause a recession. So we could see a bit of a divide in the Federal Reserve over just how much more to raise interest rates this year. Well, in our next topic, January 6, 2023, marks two years since the attack on the Capitol. The nation has learned so much more of the events leading up to the attack and what occurred on that day. And looking back on the investigation of the House Select Committee, what are some significant revelations and how has this impacted the U.S. politics? You know, we saw the release of the final report from the January 6th committee just a few hours before the Christmas holidays. Unfortunately, I think that timing meant that a lot of its revelations were a little bit lost. We saw the full transcripts of the witness testimony for the very first time. We saw a lot more from members of the Trump administration really privately expressing in text messages to each other that they knew that the attack on the Capitol was something that would have a significant impact on their political futures. But ultimately, the committee was not able to compel testimony from a number of people who would have really filled in some of the blanks. I think one of the elements of the January 6th report that really hammered home is that there was a very tight group around former President Trump in terms of talking about overthrowing the results of the 2020 election. And because they all closed ranks, we may never know about some of those conversations. Ultimately, what the committee was able to do was to bring forward a lot of new evidence in public hearings, often in prime time before an American audience. And as with the 9-11 report, really get documentation of one of the key moments in American history, the go-to historical document for documenting what happened at the U.S. Capitol. It puts it in writing that President Trump, as they alleged, encouraged a group of extremists to attack the U.S. Capitol and try to overthrow the election. And that is something that they argued they documented very thoroughly. So that is a document that we will go back to for generations now. It's interesting. The committee has made some startling conclusions, but none of this actually carries any legal weight. And the committee can't compel the Justice Department to charge anyone. Justice Department, of course, is conducting its own investigation into January 6th and into the actions of former President Trump. The other interesting thing to me is some of the most damaging testimony from the committee came from Republicans. And former President Trump has said this is a kangaroo court 
quote, and quoting here, people who love freedom rally around me. But, you know, a lot of the people who worked for him at the White House testified and said some things that were pretty damning. So then looking ahead in 2023, what can we expect regarding this investigation? House Republicans now hold the majority in the U.S. House. So the committee has disbanded. Its work is complete. Now it goes to the U.S. Department of Justice in terms of those criminal referrals that the committee made. And it's up to Attorney General Merrick Garland whether he wants to pursue those charges. One element that will figure heavily into that decision is that the Justice Department has its own investigation into the events of January 6th. And I'm thinking the results of that investigation will figure heavily or even more heavily than the results of the January 6th committee. That's going to be a very difficult political decision for the Attorney General, who is, of course, part of the Biden administration. We have a tradition here in this country that presidents don't go after former presidents. They don't pursue investigations. That's a check and balance on our system that keeps everything running so that there's not a lot of reprisals. But some Democrats are saying that the events of January 6th are unique in American history, and they argue deserve a unique response. And if the Justice Department does go ahead and prosecute former President Trump, it would be unprecedented. As Catherine said, you would have someone who's running for president being prosecuted by the Justice Department, his presumed opponent. President Biden hasn't said definitely whether he's going to run or not, but assume that he will. So this is entirely unprecedented. And Republicans say they are going to investigate the January 6th committee when they officially get rolling in the House. One representative, Elise Stefanik, of New York has said that she called the January 6th committee a partisan charade and she said Republicans will hold House Democrats accountable for what she called their illegitimate abuse of power. So this isn't over. Well, it's time now for a short break. And when we return, Russian forces continue to bombard Ukraine with relentless strikes. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com issues. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype. Marketplace correspondent Nancy Marshall Genzer and VOA congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson. Well, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said there has been no reprieve in the war at the start of 2023. So we're coming up on one year of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and it appears Putin is intensifying his war efforts. How are the U.S. and its allies responding to this? Well, the U.S. in the budget that was finally passed last year, there was quite a bit of additional money for Ukraine. The U.S. is going to be sending Patriot missile defense systems to Ukraine, which should help tip the balance in Kyiv's direction. Interestingly enough, apparently CBS News is reporting that HIMAR rocket systems supplied by the U.S. were used in an attack on a base in Ukraine, a Russian base that killed Russian soldiers and apparently 
apparently the Russian soldiers kind of helped the Ukrainians quite a bit by unauthorized use of their cell phones. So Ukrainians were able to pinpoint them. And also apparently there was ammunition stored near the troop barracks. And also the troops were living about seven miles from the front lines. So a lot of things combined in this attack to lead to the deaths of the Russian soldiers. But apparently U.S. supplied weapons were used in that Ukrainian attack. Well, and speaking of U.S. supplied weapons and U.S. military aid to Ukraine, the speaker fight here in Washington has implications for that. Remember that Kevin McCarthy, who is seeking that speaker position as the Republican leader, has said in the past few months that there's not going to be a, quote, blank check for aid to Ukraine. And the conservative wing of the Republican Party has already expressed a lot of concerns about oversight of U.S. aid to Ukraine, about the amount of the aid given that people here at home in the United States are facing concerns about inflation. So even as we clear that first hurdle of getting a Speaker of the House, there is going to be a very significant fight on the House floor over aid to Ukraine. And that was one of the reasons that President Zelensky came to the U.S. Congress in late December to remind members of the importance of aid to Ukraine, knowing that this fight was looming ahead in 2023. We need to move on to our last topic, where I wanted to mention NFL football player DeMar Hamlin. He remains in critical condition after suffering cardiac arrest on the field during a Monday night nationally televised game on January 2nd. But just to see what happened afterwards, the players showing the emotion and shedding tears, because I understand that maybe some of them thought that he just wasn't going to survive this. It showed a human side of being a football player. Your comments. Absolutely. And, you know, you saw players crying and praying as the fact that he remained lying on the field and not getting up. It became more and more clear that he was injured very severely. The Buffalo Bills sent out a tweet saying he's still in critical condition, but there are signs of improvement. There was also no question that the game would stop, even though these are playoff games and deciding who's going to play in the Super Bowl eventually. A very human reaction here with the game taking a back seat, of course, to the health of, of the player. I was actually watching that game live, and it was one of the more intense experiences watching sports that I've ever had. And I can just say that there were a a terrible few couple of minutes where looking at the reactions of the players on the field, scrambling to get some information, I certainly thought that Hamlin might have passed away on the field. And so it's been cautiously encouraging to hear some of those updates, as Nancy mentioned, that he is making some improvements. And I think there's some questions that have to be asked about what happens in this game. There's been a lot of debate about how they need to get this game restarted because, as Nancy mentioned, it is a very important game in terms of determining the playoffs. And so there's been a debate here in the U.S. about the importance of football and how we value those lives that are playing on the field. It's been an unusual week. For the sake of time, we will move on because I want to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists this week. So, Catherine, what is weighing on your mind? Well, I think just because I've been so consumed with the fight over the Speaker of the House vote on Capitol Hill, I'm always reminded when a new Congress is sworn in or about to be sworn in in the case of this year, that every two years we have kind of this refresh in the U.S. House of Representatives. And you see it in a very granular way. 
walking around the U.S. Capitol. I don't know if listeners know this, but when leadership changes, you have changes of office, you have new House members on the day that they're expected to be sworn in, usually bring their families. So you have this unusual day in the U.S. Capitol where you see the grandparents, the parents, the children, the spouses. You see all of the family members of these people who at times can seem a little bit distant, important. You're reminded anew that these really are just people and that for many of them, this is a huge moment in their lives becoming a member of the U.S. Congress. You end up being in elevators with people who you see on TV. It's a reminder that the U.S. Capitol is a very human place. I think that's important to remember that these are the people who are making our laws. Thank you. And Nancy? I have been reminded that really the pandemic is not over, even though we're all acting like it is. I flew over the holidays and I was one of the only people on my plane wearing a mask. And I also wore a mask in the airport unless I was eating. And I was definitely in the minority. People are acting like the pandemic is over. And I really don't think it is. And of course, there's talk of a triple-demic with not just COVID, but also the flu and RSV circulating. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, says more than 400 people are still dying of COVID. I just wish that people would pay a little more attention to that. And we'll close the show on those thoughts. My thanks go to VOA Congressional Correspondent Katherine Gibson and Marketplace Correspondent Nancy Marshall-Genzer. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News. Issues in the News.